Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. A couple of months ago on the show, we had the blockchain authority, Don Tapscott, who presented blockchain, this new networked digital technology, as the next internet. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about blockchain technology again, but drill down a couple of levels and address a particular aspect or an example of blockchain technology, the the cryptocurrency Ethereum. Uh, Camilla Russo is uh, a a Latin American born and bred uh, financial journalist who now lives in New York, who has just come out with a really interesting uh, book about Ethereum, a history of Ethereum called The Infinite Machine how an army of crypto hackers is building the next internet with Ethereum. Uh, Camilla, to start, perhaps you might define in your mind what blockchain technology actually is before we get to uh, currencies and and Ethereum. Sure. Um, Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Um, So blockchain technology... I think the the big breakthrough here is that it's um, a network of distributed computers, which they all hold the same ledger or database, and they're able to synchronize this this ledger um, without requiring a central entity to to do so. So this sounds very abstract, but what what this allows to do is to transfer value without needing a bank or um, an agent to stand in the middle of the two parties um, transferring that value. Um, and this is a major, a major break, breakthrough in technology that um, was, never, uh, was never able to, to happen before Bitcoin, this ability to um, really transfer money from party to party without having a bank to custody that, that money and to make that transfer. Um, and that, can, that, that kind of value layer can be made more complex by um, adding a, a computer code to, to, to these transactions. So be, beyond value transfer, you can get uh, lending, borrowing, and all sorts of you know, financial operations um, linked to value, and because this, this is digital value that we're talking about and computer code, um, value can also take different shapes. You know, you can tokenize different things from data to um, physical assets to uh, digital assets and, um, and just the, the, the use cases of this new uh, financial layer exceed um, the tr- what traditional finance can do. I think... Um, right. So, so, so Camilla, let's be clear, though. Blockchain technology isn't just a, 
applied to the financial sector. It, it, it can exist across the board. As you're presenting it, it's essentially technology which is uh, uh, uncorruptible data that protects data in a way that means that people can't fiddle with the data. So it's, in theory at least, I guess, um, eternally transparent data. Um, and as Don Tapscott presents it, th this can be applied across the board. It can be applied to tax records and all sorts of other legal infrastructure of the state. Most people, however, know blockchain technology. It's become popularized in the way in which it's been applied to cryptocurrency. Uh, Bitcoin is the most famous cryptocurrency, but it, it is just one currency. Your book is about Ethereum, which is uh, the second cryptocurrency. Is that fair? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies, these tokens, I think they're, they're important because beyond being um, a representation of, of value or um, an, another way to represent money, they are the ways in which um, th these blockchains can um, can can stay decentralized and can uh, transfer value. And, and to put it more more concretely, these tokens are used to incentivize all these uh, nodes or, or or people controlling the the computers in the network to participate in the network and to validate transactions uh, because they get these tokens, the, the tokens that are native to these networks as a reward for um, confirming transactions and, and securing the network. So really, these cryptocurrency tokens are, are a core part of blockchain technology or at least open uh, blockchain uh, blockchains that are, you know, that, that live in, in a distributed and, and decentralized way. They, they really do require these token incentives. Um, and yes, that's right, that Ethereum is the second biggest blockchain network by measured by the market capitalization of, of its cryptocurrency ether. How much is it worth, uh, Ethereum? What's its market overall market cap? Um, so right now, let's see. So Bitcoin right now is, is worth around uh, $9,000. Ethereum ether is worth $200. And the total market cap of ether is $5 billion, And that compares with Bitcoin's $18 billion. Camilla, you 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 noted on your uh, your in your newsletter, I think, defiant that in terms of currencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I'm quoting you here, finance is being rebuilt to put people back in control. Mm -hmm. Why are people in control when it comes to cryptocurrency? You begin your book with an anecdote about your experience in the one of the financial crises in Argentina. Uh, which actually propelled you into your interest in, in cryptocurrency. What's so radically democratic about cryptocurrency or financially radically democratic? Yeah. Um, okay, so I, 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 it's great that you brought up this experience that I had in Argentina as a way to lead in uh, to, to why crypto is, uh, puts 
power in the hands of, of users. So in Argentina, I was there uh, when I was a reporter with Bloomberg News, uh, based off the Buenos Aires office um, of Bloomberg, reporting on the Argentine markets. This was 2013, um, and Cristina Fernandez had uh, recently been re-elected. And a few days after she was re-elected, she decided to ban, to completely prohibit all uh, US dollar purchases. And this is important in Argentina because the Argentine uh, peso is con con constantly being devalued by double digit inflation. So that means that what your, what your, money, can, what your money can buy um, today uh, will be, you know, you'll be able to get much less for, for the same amount in the future. So the Argentine peso is constantly being devalued by inflation. And then that's why everyone holding Argentine pesos, um, they were instantly uh, changing their pesos to dollars to have their savings in a more stable currency. And that, that was I what, what I was doing too. Um, I was getting my, my salary from, from Bloomberg in Argentine pesos. And as soon as I got my salary, you know, whatever, I paid my, my rent. Um, and then I put the rest in dollars. And then I was covering this statement by the Argentine government saying, okay, right now, from now on, you won't be able to buy dollars. And I, I just saw it real time how in my online bank account, I like one day I was able to switch pesos to dollars, um, just like there on, on, the, on the online site. And after that statement, that option just wasn't there anymore. So that I was completely blown, out, blown away by, by how, um, how much power uh, governments can have over your own money. I mean, it's money that I consider to be mine that I earned, but they were telling me what, what I, I could do with it and, and so were banks. So I think that that was like a, a very formative um, moment for me and, 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 and my view of money. Um, and then when, when I first heard about Bitcoin also in, in Argentina in 2013, I was reporting on different ways that Argentines were dealing with these currency controls and, and uh, with inflation, trying to protect their savings. And Bitcoin was taking off that year. Um, it, it was one of the years where crypto was having um, uh, a really like a, a bubble, which you know often happens in, in crypto. Um, Bitcoin crossed um, $1,000 for the first time. So people were really looking into it. And so were Argentines, you know, uh, because this is, especially useful in a country with currency controls and, and inflation. So I saw, you know, that Bitcoin was an independent currency and an and in independent money from that's not issued by any central bank that's able to exist um, independent from any financial system and that, that people could could hold in, in their own wallet. That's that's really their own. They they, they control um, their, their Bitcoin wallet and they're able to send it peer-to-peer -peer anywhere in the world, which is you know, very different from the traditional financial system where you don't really own your, where, where your 
funds are, are kept unless you, you know, keep them under the mattress in, in cash. If you keep them in a bank, kind of the, the bank is in control of, of your money and, and, you know, as it's happened before, can one day say, you know, we're having liquidity issues and, and you can't withdraw uh, your, your cash right now. And that can happen. Um, with Bitcoin, when you're holding your, you're controlling your own wallet, um, you, you control, you, you own it. Uh, nobody can tell you what to do with it. So I think that's, that's very powerful. And also the, the idea that this is a global network is also um, really powerful because right now, I think each financial system, each country's financial system lives a little bit like in a cage. Um, uh, each country's currencies, securities, assets have geographic borders. And it's really hard for people outside of, of, of these borders or, or cages to access other countries' um, financial system. So it's hard for Argentines um, or, or Chileans, where, where I'm from, to, for example, own shares of their favorite company. Uh, so say, I, I don't know, you, you really love um, Tesla and Elon Musk, or, or you love Google, or you want to invest in, in the companies you love, you you're stuck with owning securities from your own country. And, and, and that's true for every single country. You have to own a bank account on, in, in the US if you wanna buy US stocks, you have to access that system through a broker in the US and that's very limiting and, and prohibitive. With, um, with Bitcoin and Ethereum, these are truly global networks that give access to financial services to anyone in the world, regardless of where they are. Camilla, um, once bitten, twice shy, I think, with some of this stuff. We heard all this stuff about globalization and democratization 20 years ago with the founding of social networks like Facebook. Um, today, I think the majority of people deeply regret the appearance of Facebook. It's a trillion dollar, a near trillion dollar company that's deeply exploitative, that's undermining democracy around the world. Um, if indeed blockchain and specifically uh, cryptocurrencies like Bit Bitcoin and Ethereum, if they are indeed the new internet in terms of their revolutionary implications, if they do indeed replace national currencies and undermine national banks, two questions. Firstly, how can you guarantee that we don't see the appearance of, of, of monstrous Facebook-like monopolies or Google-like monopolies? And uh, secondly, um, and, and this is a question I'm sure you deal with all the time, if, as, as with curated media, if you undermine the authority of central banks, where does the buck stop when it comes to currency control and currency stability? Who becomes the world's central bank? Okay, so in regards to to um, monopolies and like the, the danger of, of getting another monstrous corporation, I love this question because it's um it's it really this the the answer highlights why the system is so different. So what what blockchains enable are the ability to build protocols and applications that unlike current corporations are open in the sense that the code is 
open for, for anyone to see. So the financial system that's being built on Ethereum, um, all these financial applications have open source code or uh, many of them do. So the reason why this protects you from monopolies is that when you have open source systems and transparent systems, if you don't like the way that that application or protocol is being run, you can replicate the, the, the system almost you know, exactly, exactly the way it is and start a new one and take all your data and take all your assets because you own them in, in this new paradigm and, and start a, a, a new system that, for example, if, if, you, if, if um, Facebook was open source, um, right now Facebook is a you know, closed uh, for-profit company. They have proprietary uh, uh, designs to, to how their platform is built. Um, if, if Facebook was an open source company, and you don't like that they're profiting with, with your data, you could uh, go look at their code and create a new Facebook um, that works exactly the same. And, and you could take all of your, your data, all of your contacts, because you own them in, in this, in this uh, new paradigm, and, and start a new Facebook. So this really is a way to put users in, in control um, it, it gets in, you know, it, it gives them more power and makes companies more accountable. So I think that's um, one way where this new system really does limit the appearance of, of huge monopolies. I have to say that that's, that's not at all convincing. You know as well as I do that most people don't create their own networks. Yeah, most people who hold Ethereum or Bitcoin if it became a mass currency, little old ladies in, 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 in Buenos Aires or, or New York, they're not going to go off and found their own Oh, no, of course not. So they're, but, they're but, not. Let, they're let, not let's, but... let's, let's move on to the next question. No, no, but this... just, just let, let me address that criticism. So they, they're not, but um, ambitious entrepreneurs who are seeing this discontent are. So if, okay. if, if they okay. see, oh, my God, like all, like all these old ladies are mad at Facebook, let me start a new Facebook. Well, that hasn't happened with Facebook, but l let's move on to this issue. Because it's the, not open. Well, well, let's let's move on to this issue of the centralized currency and the mm -hmm. authority of central banks. You keep on referring to Argentina, which uh, over the last century has been the 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 exception to the rule when it comes to the f profound mismanagement of a of a country's finance. So I'm not sure that's a very good argument. What, what's wrong with central banks and central bankers? And, 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 and what happens if, if, if cryptocurrency undermines those? Won't we just have financial anarchy? Well, I believe, I don't, I don't believe that um, there are, I mean, first of all, there are many other countries with double digit inflation other than Argentina. Um, and so I think what's, what's wrong with, with central banks you know, it's not that central banks are bad. It's that it's good to have a hedge against the possibility that they can be bad, as they have been in in 
you know, in, in many countries and in, in many occasions, mismanaging um, monetary policy, devaluing their currencies, um, uh, in in uh, in developed nations, you know, they've um, they've done record record amount of of stimulus, which has really pushed interest rates to to zero or even to to negative um, to negative rates. So, for cryptocurrencies, offer a way to hedge against this mismanagement, or an alternative in the cases where um, where the management of cent central banks isn't offering good um, a good way to to save and um, and uh, and a good way to grow uh, people's savings. So, you know, I think. Uh, uh, rather than um, threaten central banks and really displacing them and, and creating anar anarchy, I think cryptocurrencies and, and this open financial system can offer um, a viable alternative uh, with people for people who are uh, feeling who, who who aren't getting what what they want from from their own financial system and currencies. That's a fair response. Uh, Camilla, uh, your book is about Ethereum. So very briefly, um, what's so interesting about the Ethereum story? Why would people want to read about it? So Ethereum is especially interesting because, so Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency and it, it brought us this uh, groundbreaking ability to transfer value peer-to-peer -peer globally. Now, the way that Ethereum is different is that this is the first blockchain that is Turing complete. And what this means is that this network can, um, besides just transferring money peer to peer, it can process any, anything that a computer can. So it, it can uh, do any sort, sort of computation and run any computer code that developers can think of in a decentralized manner. Um, so while Bitcoin is great at just being peer-to-peer -peer money, what Ethereum wants to be is peer-to-peer -peer everything. So, so really be a decentralized computer for any applications that developers can, can think of. So it really does want to enable this um, new internet because it has that additional flexibility. Finally, um, uh, Camilla, you're stuck, I think, in Brooklyn, or maybe not stuck. You're enjoying Brooklyn during uh, the, these weird times. Yes. Uh, I know you think people should read your newsletter, The Defiant, which is actually an excellent way of keeping up uh, in addition to reading The Infinite Machine. But um, alongside The Defiant and The Infinite Machine, what should people be reading to understand perhaps more about blockchain, particularly its financial implications to the world? Yeah, so I think a really good gateway to Bitcoin and, and blockchain is Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper. Um, so this book uh, narrates the beginnings of Bitcoin in, you know, very similarly to what I do with the Infinite Machine, telling the history and, and early days of Ethereum. So Digital Gold, I, I would definitely recommend. You've been listening to Keynote hosted by me, Andrew Key. 
Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.